of the things I love about having a dog is that every day is a brand new day. Every walk is a whole new time to be excited and experience smells and sights and sounds. Seriously, dogs, actually, to me, all animals except those suffering and confinement or illness have so much to teach us about life. Knowing things without applying them can be, I swear, sometimes the curse of the human race. We know how to be present. We know about being mindful and aware. And yet, I watch my dog on her walk. We go a lot to the same places that are close by. We rotate around, but they're the same places. But every day, it's like her first walk. Tail wagging, new smells, new sights, new sounds. And if you're in nature a lot, that is how nature is. You can go to the same place a million times and it's always different. It's different in the subtleties of life, what's happening, and the energy of the place. I've always mentioned that knowing things, learning, left brain learning, is a good thing. That spirit can access that information for us through intuition because it's in us also already. In other words, we've learned it. It's in our library. I've watched my own teacher, Chinese man, grew up in Malaysia, exposed to American psychology, married to a psychologist for a while, and exposed to many conversations with his American students become more psychologically adept and able to discuss things that in the beginning I think were rather foreign concepts for him. So even he is not coming from just pure intuition and pure spirit. And our own teacher, Wang Lo, the spirit teacher, has often made comments when somebody has a big issue and they want to know what energy work to do. And he'll say, take an aspirin. So I do love learning. <laughs> I do love Western medicine has its place for sure. Surgery and emergency care. Some of the medications, even with their side effects, given that we're living in a world that's highly polluted, very hard to eat healthy. All of it is extremely beneficial when used wisely. I'm watching a herd of deer right now on our walk. Wow, I haven't ever seen them here before. So cool. But learning something without using it is like the people I know who have a treadmill at home or a home gym and the outfits to wear to the gym and they never use the gym. <laughs> It's not easy to use 
the tools that we learn. And for most people, they don't use their tools until they have to, until their marriage is on the rocks or their weight is threatening to send them to the hospital or their own behaviors perhaps a result is a of a rough childhood or just a dysfunctional childhood which in and of itself is rough those behaviors start to ruin their daily life be it friendships or their own internal moods that's when they finally begin to get some help and even in mainstream therapy you'll see people come in to put out fires and once the fire's out they quit the work because they want to get back to life as soon as possible but what if your life becomes about inquiry curiosity application and failure reassessment that's actually what animals do you see them do it all the time they learn what works and doesn't work and they keep doing more of what works but they still keep trying new things you never see an animal Well, one that has close to a natural life. Kind of give up on learning and exploring. I have seen it with animals that are confined in the house. and They get really overweight. And all they want to do is eat. And they're being fed bad food. And yes, they get in that cycle of depression. They're too overweight. They can't really move. They just want to eat. They want to zone out. They don't want to be present. I've seen it with pets. You see it with zoo animals also. So when I'm talking about animals, I'm talking about those in a natural or somewhat natural environment. Dogs that get walked and cats that have space to roam and hunt. Birds that can be allowed to fly, aren't just living ignored in a cage, that sort of thing. Deciding to have a different quality of life. In the beginning, it is like turning around an oil tanker in the ocean. It just takes a long time. <laughs> and you're working against the current and the waves. And it's a big ship going in one direction. And you want to turn it and go in another direction. And it, yeah, it's a lot of effort. But after a while, your life becomes more like a speedboat where you can twist and turn pretty easily. And it's fun. You try not to spill over in the waves. And if you do, you set yourself upright. And it's all part of the journey of being on the ocean. The ocean being the body of energy that lives inside of us and we live inside of it. What's the point of it all? 
I would ask you, what is the current point of your life right now? It might be taking care of the grandkids. It might be making more money so you can buy a house, go on more vacations. Good dog. It might be that you're struggling with health issues. Perhaps you're trying to get more peace in your family. And there can be this thought that once I get through this, then it will all be better, okay, good, etc. But the truth is, problems are always there. We resolve one set of problems, or we could call them challenges, and there's a new set right around the corner. Everything comes with its challenges. The yin and yang life. People are dying of loneliness when they get in a relationship and the relationship is driving them crazy. So instead of looking for a problem-free life, perhaps we can start looking for a problem-solving life. That negotiating the waves of the ocean is life. And what matters then is not what we're doing, but how we are doing everything. If I am solving my problems as a way to shut myself down or beat myself up, that's going to be a pretty painful way to solve problems. If I'm solving problems like body surfing, trying to catch the right wave, not get crashed into the sand too hard, get a long run out of it, get the sand out of my suit, go back out, find another wave. So solving problems or taking on the daily challenges of life is now fun. Oh, a bunny. <laughs> Pia gets to chase a bunny. <laughs> Good girl. If I'm putting on makeup because I'm ugly and I want to look better and I, or I feel sad or I have bruises... That's one way to put on makeup. Another way is painting a canvas because it's fun and I want to have everything look purple today. Purple eyeshadow and purple base lipstick. Now putting on makeup is fun and an act of joy and self-care. Putting on makeup is neither good nor bad. It's neither feminist nor anti-feminist. It's neither gender choice or non-binary choice. It's what we make it. If I'm meditating every day because I'm a horrible person and hopefully this will save me, or I have, quote, sinned in the past by taking advantage of people or being mean, 
I'm self-centered. And now I'm going to meditate, damn it, to get better. You're not going to get better. <laughs> That's just more meanness. It's how you meditate. Is it coming from the heart? Is it coming from a place of starting over kindness and compassion for yourself? So you have kindness and compassion for all the other mean people that you meet, the other people who steal from their families or are selfish and manipulate people to get what they want. And maybe you think that's how you've been. And now you realize you don't want to be that way anymore. And as you pull out of that, you meet someone who's just like the old you in the past. Now, instead of being all righteous, you can think to yourself, yep, that was me. I know why I did it. I know how it felt when I did it. And I know how hard it is to turn that around. That's what compassion is. It also means you don't allow yourself to get abused or used by that person who is you in the past. But you can definitely have compassion. So again, compassion is not what you do. It's how you do it. You can compassionately remove someone from your life. You can remove someone from your life in a mean way. Mean to them, mean to you. Does it make a difference? You bet it does. Energy leaves scars or it leaves healing. Good girl, Pia. Get that bunny. <laughs> I have to change my whole schedule when it gets hot and get out for a walk when it's early enough to catch bunnies for Pia and also not too hot to go walking far. I can't walk her at night because she's coyote food. She's too little. So energy leaves scars. It can leave healing. And how we do things is what matters. That's what we're talking about with mindfulness. How am I doing the things I'm doing? Not controlling and micromanaging every single choice I make. That is not mindfulness. That is obsessiveness. Mindfulness is looking at touching, connecting with my energy field. Either before I make a choice or a decision, or if it's kind of more of a spontaneous thing, maybe in the middle of making that choice and decision, in the middle of arguing with someone, I check in and realize I'm coming from a hard place. Can I shift it right then and there? It's kind of like body surfing. You're moving with the wave and making all these minute adjustments, minuscule adjustments, to enjoy the ride. Just like skiing. Actually, just like walking. You're constantly adjusting to stay upright. You're just used to it. I don't hear a lot of people. I hear some people who are really out of shape complain about walking, but most of us do not 
bitch and moan about walking. And yet, for someone who has lost their legs, the use of their legs, and regained them through physical therapy, you trust me, they realize what a miracle walking is. All the muscles that are working, the challenge of being upright, fighting against gravity, moving forward, keeping your balance, breathing. And that's kind of our life. And like walking, we very often take life for granted. One of the reasons I love walking my dog, every walk to her is pure joy. And it reminds me that we can make that choice every moment. That life is pure joy, along with, like Pia, my legs are too short to catch a bunny. (laughs) But still there's the joy of chasing the bunny, of finding the bunny. There's all the smells. There's, it's just a new world, a new day. I'm walking at my older age here. I'm not in a wheelchair. I'm not on a walker. I'm not with a cane. Wow. One day I won't be walking. I'm cooking breakfast. I have money for food. I have company. I'm cooking for a child. Wow. The smells, the sounds. Do we take the time with those moments? And usually we don't. It's those moments of pure indulgence in the incredible things we're doing right now in this moment that get us through the hard times. That when life sucks, I can remember when I was swimming with whales or walking my dog. And remember that those times will come again. Yes, there's some cases where they're not going to come again, where you're incapacitated with cancer, or you've had a limb amputated, or you're in a homeless shelter. Worse, you're in a homeless shelter with your kids. And yeah, it might be a long time coming. But even in those places, we can find moments of joy. Talk to cancer patients. You will hear them find those moments. A friendly nurse, a funny television show. I remember when I was really sick for a number of years. My body was just shutting down. And I discovered napping taking a nap on a sheepskin rug in the sun in my condo in Los Angeles, living in a city. I'm a country person living in L.A. was, I thought, going to be a challenge, but turned out that I got a place to live that was as close to living in the country in L.A. as I could have possibly imagined. And taking a nap in the sun with my kitty was one of the biggest indulgences I've ever had in my life. I wouldn't have discovered that if I hadn't gotten sick. Pia, come here, Pia. Lost my dog in the tall weeds here. (laughs) Pia, come. So even being incapacitated 
injured, broke, sick. We waken, we are awakened to other levels of joy and serenity. A really amazing book to read along these lines is called The Kin, K-I-N, of Ata, A-T-A, by Dorothy Bryant. It's a novel, but she, Dorothy Bryant, is a Sufi master, and like the Sufi tradition, uses stories to teach. So she uses a novel to teach. And in the beginning of the book, you're introduced to a pretty disgusting character. So if you're expecting a spiritual book, in the beginning, you might wonder, why are you reading this book? It's about a movie producer, womanizer, cocaine user, etc. But it's setting you up for the transformation of this main character. So you have to fully understand who he is to understand what he becomes. It's a really brilliant book about the power of transformation, how hard it is. But also that once you make those gains, they never go away. My teacher was talking about that when you meditate, there are certain things that you gain from meditation. That if you stop meditating, those gains are never lost. The moment you go back to meditation, what you had gained in the past will be right there waiting for you. And you can pick up and keep going from there. And it was such a reassurance, something I have felt myself, but also the reassurance is that the unknown, the energy world, is permanent. The physical world is not. In other words, if you go on a diet, and then you go off a diet and gain all your weight back, you don't just go back the next day and there's your weight loss. Like you do with meditation, you go back and there's your energy waiting for you. Everything you've learned to cultivate and work with and integrate. If you crash your car, there's no getting that car back. The energy world is permanent. It's just so hard for us Westerners because we've been convinced that the physical world is worth dying for, killing ourselves with work and food and over-socializing and meaningless socializing in order to have more vacations, more toys, more houses, more cars. (laughs) Possession. And then you spend time taking care of those possessions, worrying about them, and guarding them. One of the great things about losing everything is you lose a lot of fear because there's nothing else to lose except perhaps your life, and even that at some point becomes less fearful, if not completely fearless. Nothing more to lose means I can live. If I'm always worried about things getting stolen, losing my money, my houses, my cars, my possessions, I'm not really living. 
Some of you might have experienced that in relationships where the whole relationship, you're worried about losing your partner, you're jealous, you're insecure. What a strain. When do you actually get to enjoy the love? If there is even love there, because so many people have turned relationships into possessions as well. Old age is interesting because it slows you down and it makes you mindful. Whether you like it or not. The less you can function, whether it be old age or illness, the more you pay attention to the subtleties of life, this life of feeling energy and feeling how you do each thing. You're recovering from an injury, getting a spoon to your mouth to feed yourself can be a big deal. And you're so thankful for it. Why can't we be thankful for that without the injury? Why isn't it an amazing blessing every time we eat that we have taste buds, that we have money for food, that our limbs operate? It sounds so simplistic. But getting that in place puts everything else in place, puts everything else in perspective. Until you face a serious injury, a mental health issue, financial disaster, if you want to become mindful and start changing the quality of your life, it does take a great deal of effort. But you're already spending that effort in being not mindful, in being obsessed with Whatever it is you're currently chasing down, your career, your love life, your looks, etc. So, Glennon Doyle has this nice statement. Everybody loves these slogans, you know, we can do hard things. And they don't do hard things at all. They just say that. <laughs> But she has a statement, life is hard, choose the good hard. You're just used to living with your greediness, your possessions, your overweight, your health issues, your insecurities, your self-hatred, and all of that eats us alive. But we're so used to it. It doesn't feel like we're using energy. It doesn't feel like an effort at all. Just like uh, how many smokers have I talked to that when they finally were able to stop smoking, at least for a little while, noticed that they now had extra hours in the day and it made them uncomfortable. <laughs> because smoking and buying cigarettes and working for cigarette money and stepping outside and finding a place to smoke took up a lot of time. And when they had that extra time, it wasn't fun. 
It wasn't like, yay, I have extra time. It was like, oh crap, now what do I do? And oh, I have all these feelings coming up and all this this mess that I didn't notice was happening around me because smoking is both a stimulant and a depressant. So it's a little bit like a speedball. I think they used to call it in the 60s and 70s, cocaine and heroin shot up together. So yes, in the beginning, it takes a lot of effort and there'll be a lot of failure. But whatever you gain in your journey towards mindfulness, in terms of slowing down and turning inwards, those gains are permanent even when you cross over. And yes, it takes a lot of effort, like getting in shape or being on a diet takes a lot of effort. But then maintaining it doesn't. So it's not like, you know, people say, well, I don't want to be contemplating my navel my whole life. You're not. But in the beginning, you will. (laughs) Just like you spent every waking minute making money. But that's okay. But spending every waking minute getting to know yourself feels like, when am I done with this? And that's a cultural mindset that's going to be hard to work against. So where do you start? Tune in throughout the day, every day. Take the three breaths that Pema Chodron talks about in her article, The Pause. Try to meditate. Try to be still. Try to feel your feelings. Start small and build from there. Don't start big and fail because then you'll give up. And while you try to do this, notice how you're doing it. If you're doing it from, I want to be a good girl, good boy. I want to get brownie points in heaven. I want to get out of the trouble I'm in. I want to do what the church, in quotes, is asking of me so that I'm absolved of my sins. You'll be wasting your time. If you're doing it to swim in the ocean of energy, if you're doing it to sink into the pillow of the self, that will be a good start. Build on small, teeny tiny successes. Most people can't handle failures. After a while, when you get comfortable with your tiny successes, any setbacks will also seem small, as small as your successes. But you'll have more successes in the bank, so to speak. So a little setback is not going to rock your world. And this is how we get used to failure. And failure is a natural part of life, just like nightfall and rain. They're not bad at all. They give rhythm to the cycles of life. Not everybody has the time to meditate. Some people are working three jobs and raising children on their own. Some people are homeless and Every day is a struggle to stay alive. If you even have the time to be able to spend some time with yourself and with spirit, that in itself 
is an unbelievable privilege and benefit. Don't forget that. It's a beautiful morning. I'm going to spend the rest of it walking my dog and being with my other critters, eating a great breakfast, and I hope to see you soon.